Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. Ashley, it's so good to see your face. So good Uh, to see your face. Yes. um, It's cold where we live. So cold. And someone stole my grill. I just need to get that out. I know. I know. I'm sorry about that. From your, not from outside of your house. It was on your back patio, right? Yep. It was on my back patio. And they just took it. They just, but you know what? You will persevere. I will. You know what? I will. And you know, I'm not doing a lot of grilling right now. So it's negative. It's negative 30. I'll make do with a frying pan. You know what? One could say it's my air fryer. Yes. Use the air fryer. One could say it's cold outside, but it's warm in our hearts. Mm, yes. yes. I don't know if that quite um, applies to grilling, um, no, but, no. but we can kind of make it work. It's great. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we're uh, plugging through this winter. We know you are too, mamas. Um, we're sending every positive thought and and prayer your way as we all trudge through the cold and flu plus pan, pan panini pandemic season that we're going through. So yes, just know that we're, we're all riding that wave together. We are. I know I've seen some of our moms in our community post on their Instagrams that kiddos have croup or RSV and right. mamas, if we could somehow, some way be with you in that hospital room, just giving you coffees and extra love and affirmations yeah. we would. And so virtually from afar. We're so proud of you. And like Martha said, we're with you this cold and flu season. So we love you mamas. Yeah. All the hand sanitizer your way. Well, as you know, on the podcast, we have the blessing of hosting, um, mamas and having them share their wonderful stories and sometimes interviewing experts today. We have the pleasure of welcoming back Jules McBride for her part two episode. Um, now we had Jules on a a little while ago to share Juliana's story. Um, and it's, since it's been a a hot minute, uh, and we'll definitely link part one in the show notes, um, Jules, would you be willing to reintroduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me back for part two. I'm so excited to share more. Um, I am Jules and I am a daughter or sorry, excuse me. You <laughs> am, are though. I, yes. <laughs> yes. I am a mom to a former 25 weeker Juliana. She is five now. She mm. is amazing. And, um, a family and lifestyle influencer. Yes, you are. I like that tagline for you. you. Me too. And I really want to buy a mop sweater after seeing your video right now. (laughs) It looks the colors stunning on you. Um, we, and also the lip gloss. I, I was influenced to buy it and then I just never did. I'm sure it's on like an Amazon basket somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> in, the, in the 
cloud waiting. <laughs> That's great. Um, welcome back. I, I know Ash talked about it a little bit before we hopped on um, the mic, but uh, we've had such great feedback from your episode and people are so inspired by, by you and Juliana. And um, even though your story is one of many trials and we'll continue to talk about those ups and downs, um, yes. who you are is, is inspirational to people. It's very meaningful. You have so much wisdom to share and I get goosebumps talking about it. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> <I'm> all- <Aww. laughs> that feels so good to inspire others. It really does. Well, uh, we kind of said it before we recorded too, but part one kind of was this cliffhanger. You guys, we kind of ended part one, which we will make sure to link in the show notes for those of you who haven't had a chance to listen to part one of Jules' story. But really, we ended it with Juliana came home. She had a life-saving brain surgery, which is wild. She remarkably endured and was thriving, and she came home after 105 days. And that's kind of where we left off. And so... Jules, we would love to just hop right back into that part of your story and, you know, talk about some of your first moments at home as a family. You know, you come from your routine in the NICU, you kind of come from the everyday of rounds and the medical terminology to all of a sudden your home. What were those first moments like for you guys as a family? I remember looking around and thinking, it's just us. Yeah. Those first moments were just us. And it was wild to me. There was no nurses coming in Mm -hmm. or respiratory therapists to check, you know, to make sure they're breathing good. And um, it was, it was no beeping Mm -hmm. from the monitor. So that was a big thing. You're used to this sound and all of a sudden it's just it's quiet. You're used to the sound, the people, and it was, it was just us, (laughs) but it was a beautiful us for all these months, doctors, nurses, medical professionals. And it was, it was calming. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. We've definitely, um, we've had a, a, another mom on who talked about the same thing, just all of a sudden the absence of extra bodies in the space and, um, nobody's walking in on you while you're pumping, right? (laughs) Super fun stuff like that. Yes. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, was that you mentioned there's not nurses, there's not that extra support. Um, did Juliana come home with extra medical needs, extra equipment, things like that? I mean, she had overcome so much at that point. So I was surprised Juliana did not need, she didn't need any oxygen. She didn't need anything. The only thing that she came home with was the iron. We had to give her iron every day and we had to fortify at least two of her bottles Mm -hmm. every day to, you you know, with the fortifier to help her. Yes, yes, (laughs) to help her grow and gain. I'm like, why do they make babies have this? Take this. (laughs) So, um, and I think the scariest part of all of that was just checking her head circumference Mm. 
every day in her fontanelle lobe to make sure that the fluid from her brain was draining down her shunt, which was internal correctly, and that the fluid wasn't building back up in her brain. Yeah. I think that was the only part that scared us. Like, are we going to do this correct? Are we going to make sure that her head is not growing too fast or that everything is working as it should, considering her VP shunt that she had placed? Right. Yeah. But we were lucky. I know there's lots of parents who come home with, you know, more medical complex needs for their child. And, you know, we, we pushed through, she, she needed the care, the fortifier, the iron, and for us to check her head. And, but that was just enough for her. It was, it was what we could handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we could, I mean, I guess when you 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 handle what you're given or the cards that you're dealt but that was a lot and then considering that my husband did have the injuries as well so we're balancing his injuries still and me taking care or us taking care of Juliana absolutely that's huge and I mean even though your physical injuries uh weren't as severe as his were, were, you were still recovering mentally from all of that too, right? Yes. And my concussion syndrome, like I still go through it. I'm still a big advocate as well for the post-concussion syndrome. So Mm -hmm. I had that. So it was a lot to process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if I'm going to phrase this question, right? But I wonder too, what it was like for you in the regard that you know, a, a, a NICU baby coming home on oxygen is maybe more common than needing to measure head circumference and make sure that the fluid is draining the right way. And so did you feel as though you had others to relate to in that experience or like as many resources maybe as maybe some of the other um, equipment or medical needs that a NICU baby might come home with? I don't know if I'm asking that right, but I can imagine it maybe felt kind of wild to be on this like brain, you know, journey versus oxygen where you can like watch their chest rise and fall. I don't know if I'm asking that right, but. I definitely understand what you're asking. And the answer to that question is no, I didn't feel at the time, maybe now there's more resources that more parents are being open and vulnerable about their journey or what their kids are experiencing in the hospital. But I could only relate to maybe one or two other Mm -hmm. parents and they came before me, they weren't during or after. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had no clue about this shunt and I would do research to make sure that nothing was abnormal and that every day it was working as it should, as it should be. Right. Yeah. Did Juliana have doctors that, uh, or did she have a lot of doctor's appointments or things like that after the fact? Yes. So she had doctor's appointments weekly to check the VP shunt as well. So we had to check it every day at home. And then she also had a pediatrician that she would go in and our 
Juliana would go in and her pediatrician would check to make sure as well. So we did have that added extra security. And then she also saw a, um, a NICU doctor in the city, you know, post when you're post the NICU right. journey and you yeah. they have to go to that clinic. So we were lucky in that regard that she had somebody who was checking on her weekly. And then we would also go to the children's hospital for the NICU specialist that would check her as well. And that was a little bit more further in between, but at least she had somebody, we had that extra security. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Oh, I could totally imagine how that, uh, you know, first of all, like, you know, your husband's in the military, you're an educator. So you come into it and all of a sudden, you know, by, by situational circumstances, all of a sudden you become an expert on brain shunts. Like (laughs) who would have thought, you know? Um, and so that, I feel like it's such a, it's so much pressure on parents to think, okay, not only are you a brand new parent, you've just been through this crazy ordeal. You get to bring your baby home finally, um, buy sleep, you know, see a never. And then also (laughs) like JK, you also have to be an expert on brain shunts. That's, that's a lot of pressure for you too. Yes, it was. And then even, I'm sure other parents can relate with different things that their child may be diagnosed with after leaving the NICU. There's, there's a whole slew of things that we later on had to stay up late researching or research whenever she was sleeping to know, okay, what's this mean? And what's this mean? So that you understand what the doctors are telling you about your child or future diagnosis. Right. Yeah. So on top of, you know, all of, you know, Juliana's medical needs and just, you know, like healing physically, you know, when did you feel like you began to process everything that you guys had gone through? Did you feel like it took, was it immediately? Did you feel like it took time to get to that place? I mean, when did you feel like that began for you? I felt, um, I didn't begin to process it until I sought therapy. Hmm. I was having therapy, but not the right therapist. And I Hmm. think that that is very important. A year after the NICU, I found a therapist that I've been going to ever since. And I think that's when I was able to finally be able to process things. But I remember being so sad, even when I was holding Juliana, dealing with post-concussion syndrome was so bad. And it was like, I just couldn't understand all these moving parts. My husband with his injuries, her with her medical needs that she had, even though it was slim, maybe compared to other NICU parents, I knew that it was going to be a long road ahead. And then with myself, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to get through this? Or how are we going to survive? And Mm -hmm. (laughs) just thinking that nobody understood. And I think that's a thing about trauma too. People expect you to, okay, it happened or your baby's home now, or the car accident was this many months ago. You should be over it or be grateful that you're alive and move forward. And it's not 
like that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did take some time to, to process it. Like I said, a year once I got the right mm-hmm. therapist and then I was able to process it. Yeah. I, I think, you know, and if you'd be willing to talk about that a little bit too, I think, um, getting to the place where you're in therapy, like from is a huge leap. I think for a lot of people, the idea of seeing a therapist, there's a lot of stigma around it to begin with, right? Access is a problem, all all of the above, right? So it's, and, and when you get, you sit down with a therapist, I think sometimes the instinct is, well, they're the expert, this should work or why isn't this working? And, and that in itself can be kind of hard and traumatic too. So I want to wonder if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about how you found the, the right therapist for you and what that felt like. Yes. So she was recommended to me by another friend that was a therapist that I knew and I couldn't see her. So she recommended me to, to this other therapist. And I think the I don't even think, I know. It was the first time I saw her, I knew she was going to change my life. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to be able to heal, be able to talk about things with her, be able to trust her. And that made me feel so good inside. Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. I knew I had a lot to unpack and but I was grateful. I just knew that I had found the right person in that moment. And she was different from everyone else. And I could begin to heal. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, it it sounds like what you're describing is like, you felt safe. Yes. Right. Very much so safe, heard, knowing that my feelings were validated yeah. And how to handle things week to week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I'm so, I'm so happy and I'm, for you that, that you, you found that person. I mean, it is, um, life changing. Uh, and, uh, it, those, those people play like such an important part in your life. Um, so I'm so glad that I thank you for sharing that. I think it's really helpful for, for moms to hear that it can, it can be profound and it's hard work to find sometimes to find the right person, but it's worth it. Yes. And as you mentioned, there is a stigma around seeking therapy, but especially in the African-American community, I think there's more of a stigma to find, to seek help, um, it's just not celebrated. And I hope that one day we can get to that point where it is celebrated and everyone can seek help when they feel like they need it or their mental or emotional state is, is low. Absolutely. hundred percent. What was it like, uh, inside of your marriage? You know, I think there is, you know, the one you have to choose, I'm going to pursue healing. I'm going to pursue therapy or whatever that step is. Then you have your life partner too. And they've also gone through all of this, you know, um, how did healing look different for, for your husband and and how did it change for better and worse parts of parts of your marriage? I would say that (laughs) it's so tough because it is, um, 
And I often tell people to don't look at it as relationship goals. Hmm. People look at this pretty picture on the outside, but it is tough work. And when you add a trauma to the mix, it makes things even more so tough. Um, For years, I was a caregiver and my husband wasn't even walking at a year. I think he had just started to try to walk with crutches and things, but he still wasn't on his own physically walking. And, um, and it was tough. We both began to seek therapy separately, but I couldn't get out of that role. Like he needed so much from me because he wasn't able to do it, but that's what marriage is, right? Sickness and health. So I was fine doing it. Um, And if I had to do it all over again, I would, but I was stuck in that caregiver mode for so long for years with him and with Juliana recently until Juliana and I think he told me at three years, like you, you have to stop. You have to be my friend again and be all of this because I was so used to taking him to doctor's appointments, taking him to therapy, taking Juliana to every appointment. And I think that in those first couple of years between all of his ortho appointments and you know, pain management, Juliana with her different doctors that she was seeing, I was commuting a lot, making sure that they could get to all these things. And um, that was like your identity, right? At that point, yeah. Yes, it was tough, but I went into that survival Mm -hmm. mode. Like I need to do what is right for my family. I'm the one, yes, I'm hurt, but I'm the one who is, I don't even want to say least because I don't like comparing injuries or wounds, but you know, physically I was the one who was least hurt. So I was, I have to take care of my family. And I went into that mode and things were tough. Um, I think that things were great. And, but at that three year mark, I just did not know how to come out of that caregiver role and try to be that friend, that wife, that life partner and go back to what it was previously to, to the date of the accident. So it was tough and it did require a lot of work to get back to that space. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that so vulnerably. I think what I hear when you say that too, is, is that, you know, there were years, you said three, you know, of time. That yes. really, and, um, a marriage can feel like, so in that you get, so in the day to day that it's hard to step away, take a step back and see like, um, what's happening right now. And, mm-hmm. and, and you have a lot of time, right. To, to work through it. It, it takes time, um, to maybe get back to, um, I guess, lifting up the different elements of, 
uh, marriage that you said yes. you focus a lot on the caregiving, maybe less on the Netflixing next yes. Netflix and chilling <laughs> as it were, but, um, but I, I think it's, um, it makes me really hopeful because obviously situation circumstances are different, but marriage fundamentally changes after something like that. So knowing that you can, you have enough grace in the marriage to sit down and reflect and say, we can change. We can talk about this and we can make adjustments. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And when now, since your husband, he wasn't very mobile for a year. Um, what was his relationship with Juliana and how has it changed to today? Um, yeah, so his relationship was, um, great. I would say even being on the different pain meds and things that he was on, he would still learn to space things or not try to take meds when they were due because he wanted to change diapers, to hold her, to be able to feed her when the bottles needed to be fortified and she wasn't breastfeeding. Um, He wanted that time and stuff with her. So I think he did, not I think, I know, he did what he could and he wanted to be the best father possible. Um, And I know it sucked for him when he couldn't push a stroller or I had to be the one that was constantly carrying her car seat with her in it to appointments or getting her out of the car when we got somewhere and getting her packed up. Um, yeah, I know it had to be, it had to be tough for him. I know that my husband for his injuries was determined to be the best father that he could be and to be there for every moment and not miss a thing with Juliana. Um, And the same runs true with his relationship with her today. Like she can always be there to count on him for anything, for doctor's appointments, for therapies. If she wants her dad, he is there. And um, he's just, he's a great role model for her to have. You know, they've been through some of the same things and he knows what she's going through. Um, with having recovered from his injuries. Um, So she just always has him to look up to. And it's just a beautiful relationship to watch. So we kind of have to learn (laughs) to swap things with the routine care. Mm -hmm. It's just a tough spot when your kids get older. It's like, you know, when they're a baby, it's like, okay, this is how we're doing it. Or we got to get through this or we have to, we often look back and we're like, how do we survive that first month? Like it was just us, there no nurses to (laughs) help out. How did we do it? And so I think now that she's getting older, it's learning how to swap off or help with that routine care or get a good system going. So it feels like, no one's doing it alone, especially when it comes to her having more needs now than what she had when mm-hmm. she was a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
So can we maybe, um, maybe that's a good place to talk about some of Juliana's medical journey when she came home. Um, you know, what, you know, what were some of her mountains and valleys and when did you maybe notice that something wasn't quite right? Yes. So I noticed that things weren't quite right when she was probably six, seven months old. Coming from my background with early childhood development, I already knew the things that I should be looking for, whether it was grasping a toy, bringing it to the mouth, um, pinching things, um, the tummy time, the rolling over, all of those little milestones that should have been happening at different months, they weren't happening. And as time progressed, probably nine, 10 months when I saw that she wasn't sitting up on her own. At that point, I definitely knew that what her NICU doctors had previously talked about with the brain injury and cerebral palsy, I knew that that was it setting in. So that was very, very hard. I never gave up hope, but I knew that at that time she was way behind the curve of where she should have been there was little things that were just a telltale and as time progressed and different things that should have happened and milestones they weren't, I, I definitely knew that she, we, she needed, she was already getting that early intervention therapy, but I knew that we had to get her into more and frequently to get her going. Hmm. So what did it feel like for you as her mom you know, you have that early intervent or development background, so you know, but I mean, as a mom, what did that process kind of look like for you as you began to understand that she was going to, you know, maybe the brain injury did exist and those kind of things? I mean, as a mother, what did that feel or look like for you? I was devastated. I was devastated, but I knew that she was here, that she mm-hmm. survived and that I would always do whatever I could to make sure, and her father too, to make sure that she got the help and the therapy and everything Mm. that she needed. Mm. And I remember a point in time where she was in CCVI therapy, which was cortical vision for her vision, um, oral therapy, physical therapy. It was just so many therapies (laughs) that that on top of navigating still the injuries in parenthood, Mm -hmm. it was, it was crazy. And I look back now I'm, I'm used to it. We're used to it now, but it's crazy to look back to see when all of this began that, um, just wow 
it was tough. Wow, this is what we're going to have to do for her. This is what she needs to excel and to make it. And I, you know, so it's, it's awesome to hear how you and your husband are like incredible advocates for Juliana. I mean, you are an educator and an expert in your field, but also like, it sounds like you became an expert in things so that you could better support her. Right. Like, and spending all those nights on Google you talked about, which is like, so like just the, the purest form of like motherhood, right. You want her to have the best, most awesome Juliana life possible. Um, I, I wonder to, if you could talk a little bit about then, you know, that, that three-year shift you talked about, there were some changes and, you know, you talked about with your husband and your marriage and shifting there, but then also, you know, the pandemic hit as well too. And so she was having presumably lots of therapies before and maybe, did some of those go remote too? How did those things change? Cause this, these past two years have been really formative for her. Yes. So I am very thankful. Um, before the pandemic even hit, Juliana was going to a, an intensive therapy center and they are amazing. They have changed our life. <laughs> Juliana was seeing, um, an amazing, two amazing speech therapists in the area. And they were the ones who, um, who essentially worked with her so much that she was able to say her first words. And we were told that Juliana would never be able to speak that because of the brain injury, that there were things that she was just not going to be able to do because after all, her motor, large motor, fine motor, movement, all of that was affected. Um, And when you think about the mouth, that's part of the motor as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we were expecting that, but we were still always hopeful. So fast forward to before the pandemic, we were seeing, she was seeing great intensive therapists that had worked with her on oral eating, swallowing, trying to drink from a cup, physical therapist, and um, and a great OT as well. So she had all these therapists behind her. And we essentially learned from them. We learned what we needed to be doing to help her. And that moved into the pandemic Everything was virtual, so they would see us to give us, to check on us, to make sure that she was doing well, and that if we had any questions with her therapy, but we stepped in there, and then we became her therapist, and I still get proud of that, because when she eventually did go back to therapy, they were just in awe, like, (laughs) wow, this girl is eating good. She's gaining weight now. She loves her table food. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and she was just working hard at activities, whether it was, it, it was physical, oh, things with OT. Um, and I always say that about Juliana, she has such determination, Mm -hmm. 
it is, it's mind blowing. She's always such a happy girl for the things that she has gone through. She's getting a little spicy now (laughs) (laughs) at five, but Mm -hmm. she is always so determined. And now it's this new independence coming along too. Like, I want to do that for myself, or I want to try to feed myself. And it's just, it's amazing to see. So the things, the milestones that may be small to other Mm. parents are so big to parents that have children with medical needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what were some of Juliana's first words? Yes, <laughs> she didn't say, or yeah, uh, or, you know, doing the head nod and stuff. And then uh, my, she she always said dad at first, but um, the day, I know, right? I'm like, girl. <laughs> I thought we had something here. <laughs> yes. And um the day that she said, mom, I mean, I will never forget that she said, mama, it seemed like one week. And then like a few weeks later, she was putting it together and saying, mama, I love you. And I remember being in the car, like just filming her, like, what are you saying? (laughs) And it was just, it was heartwarming. I never thought that I would hear those words. So now, you know, when our kids get older, they're like, mom, mom, mom. Uh, uh-huh. And she does that. And I never get sick of it because mm. I know what the alternative could have been yeah. that I could have never heard those words out of her mouth. Wow. So what a brilliant yeah. kid. She's incredible. She is. Yes. You alluded that she's spicy. Like, what are some of the things she likes and some of the things she doesn't like so much? Oh, my goodness. If she doesn't want something, she'll go, no, no. And um, and she is actually proud of herself for doing that. Like, she has uh-huh. this smile on her face when she says it. Oh. And it's just like, no, I don't want to do that. Or yes. <laughs> Or the not not right now, and I'm like, where did you get that from? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's spiciness or independence, but I'm like, what happened to the days where you just did what we told you to? <laughs> oh, I love it. Or I don't want that right. with certain foods. So yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I'd love to know, you know, we have a team member whose son um, also has a brain injury. His name is Bradley. We adore him and his mom, Vilma, deeply. And um, it's been really cool in the past, you know, before pandemic and now kind of slowly back in the pandemic, the ways that Bradley has kind of been able to be more involved in the community and do some things that, again, doctors said maybe he'd never get to experience or do. And so, what are some fun things that you guys have been able to do with Juliana that you could only have dreamed of? I mean, what are some of the, your favorite memories just being out in the world with her? Yes. So I would say pretty much anything, um, day-to-day things or weekend trips Mm -hmm. at 
<laughs> at Lowe's or certain places. Like she just loves seeing like the plants in the store <laughs> and people and, yeah. um, and just, and just watching too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just watching people. Um, I love our, we take, um, yearly trips to the sunflower fields or mm. pumpkin patches and just to see her like oh you're doing what other kids we don't stop that we don't say yeah. oh no we can't go here we do what every other parent yeah. does yes it may take more you know thoughts or you have to see if that place is accessible or you're going to be able to navigate it but we do not take any of those experiences away from her. She loves mm-hmm. going to the pool, being with other kids, being mm-hmm. in the water, um, walks, and just playing with her friends. Just a typical, yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> typical things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so beautiful. I think that they're. Um, we just try to keep what any give her the experiences Mm -hmm. that any child would have at her age yeah absolutely yeah she's also like an influencer in her own right yes (laughs) (laughs) yes definitely (laughs) oh man I love the jammy pick the Christmas jammy pick of you and her too the mama thank you thank you oh my gosh so cute. You talked about like, you know, you do the normal thing, quote, normal things that other kids her age would do. It may take some more planning or like, you know, knowing if places are accessible. Do you feel like that was kind of a muscle that you had to exercise? Like, do you feel like compared to where you are today, like, did it feel overwhelming right away? Or, you know, like, how do you feel like you've kind of evolved into like, no, we do this, you know, like, it may take extra work, but we do this. I mean, what, how has that process been like for you? Yes. So navigating it was hard. I should say that it wasn't easy. Like we did just jump right into it when she was, of course, smaller, it was easier, like, oh, we can take you everywhere. It's fine. We'll pick you up if we can't take, you know, a certain stroller. And, um, but even I think the earliest thing that I had to learn to adapt to was the pool. How do we find her a floaty that can fit her so she can be in the pool like everyone else. Mm-hmm. That was huge, especially since the pool is very freeing for a lot of kids with cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was the first thing. And then I think the second thing was just once she was getting taller and um, and older, just making sure that her wheelchair could go places Um. An example is probably the sunflower field. How are we going to navigate that now that she's older? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, so those types of things did take a little bit, a little bit more. And it's not the way that you envision things, but you do it because 
we wanted or we do it because we wanted our child to have these experiences or no, we can't go because of this or whatever reason, like we wanted to, what do we need to do to make this happen, to make this experience happen for you? Yeah. No, that's so beautiful. You're such a good mom. And I think it's safe to say that Juliana is starving because she's a miracle girl, but also because of the way that you have advocated for her and the ways that you continue to make sure that she has a special life and she does. And it's so beautiful to watch. Thank you. When you say thriving, I never would have imagined that she would be walking before she was sitting up completely on her own. Mm-hmm. And just to watch her thrive mm-hmm. over the, you know, her full lifetime, but especially over the last couple of years since the pandemic, that's, it's more than I could have ever imagined. Yeah for her to see her gaining all these new skills, the independence, the walking. And even though it's with the help of a robotic walker, it's, it's priceless. It's priceless joy. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, if we have NICU mamas listening that maybe are just getting the diagnosis for cerebral palsy or are just being told that their child has a brain injury, you know, what, what would you say to them? Like what words of hope would you give them? The words of hope that I would give them is first, I think that it's okay to grieve that the situation or the path that you thought was going to be yours isn't happening. It's okay. It's okay to grieve that. It's okay to have moments of sadness. And then it's okay to have that hope and joy and to turn around because your child is here, your child made it Mm -hmm. and that you'll excel. Mm -hmm. There was nothing wrong that you did. There was nothing that you could have gone or have done differently Mm -hmm. and um, day by day, we talked about that a lot in the first part and in the second part, but it truly is a day by day journey. I think that if you try to think what's going to happen, what's going to happen months from now, a year from now, two years from now, you will drive yourself crazy. (laughs) I have learned just to take it day by day. Mm -hmm. and that's that's what I do yeah Mm. so you'll make it mamas you will make it you're a part of this small niche of NICU moms whose early delivery was caused by something completely out of your control I mean all of our NICU journeys are to some extent but it was kind of in doing by another person, person, you know? Yeah. And we don't hear that often, but there, you you know, there's a small group of you who have that story and, you know, what has 
healing looked like for you in that regard in the forgiveness and the walking forward and also just reconciling with that. Um, and maybe that's a day by day thing too, but I wonder to other NICU mamas listening who have a similar experience, what words of hope or life would you give them? Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is forgiveness. Mm. Forgiveness because if you don't allow yourself to forgive, you can never truly see the grace or the things that are happening right in front of you with your child. Mm. For the longest time, um, I, and I still get it every now and then. I'm not perfect, (laughs) but I, every time Juliana was hospitalized for bronchiolitis, or if it was a shunt malfunction, or even as recent as last year with needing her hips to be put back in their sockets and having the plates and screws implanted. And even now with her about to have surgery in a few weeks, it is easy. It is very easy to take yourself to this place and think, look what this person did. Look at all the pain that this person caused an innocent child or even innocent people. But I can't allow myself to go there because I need to be a good mom. I need to have a happy place for my daughter so I can be the best mom and give her the best care possible and the best me every day. She deserves that. She deserves to have happy parents and to have parents that look out for her every day and to not see us sad every day or angry or upset at what somebody else did. And for a while I lived in that. I blamed that person every time my child was in the hospital or having a procedure that had been far too many to count. And it really is sad because your life could have had this different path, you know, but I would be doing my child a severe injustice Mm -hmm. if I didn't show up for her every day and fight and be her cheerleader and be her happy mom. Like I often look at Juliana and I think she is so happy because (laughs) she has people that love her. And that take the best care of her possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that forgiveness is a big part of healing. So you can see grace. So you can live in all the good things. You deserve to be happy no matter what somebody did to you. No matter how somebody changed your path in life. You deserve to be happy again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, there's like, it's like mic drop. Like what else could you say after that? <laughs> I know. And Jules, it's, it's truly a reflection of just the deep inner healing work that you have done. And it's, it's out, it's, it's remarkable. They're really, it is really a mic drop. It really is. Um, and again, Juliana is thriving because of you, like you and your husband have truly, I mean, yeah, there's just no words. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for sharing that so vulnerably. And um, again, it's not a perspective that we hear often, but to any NICU mamas that have a similar story, just know that um, you are seen and loved and you are not alone. Yes. So a question that I would love to end on with you, Jules, and especially during these pandemic years, it can feel like self-care or offering ourselves self-compassion at all is near impossible. <laughs> and so I'd love to know as, you know, a medically complex NICU mama, you know, how you take care of yourself and how, what you do for yourself to recharge and, you know, I know you mentioned therapy, which is amazing. Um, and so are there any other things that you make sure to do that really fill your cup so that you're the best mom that you can be? Yes, that is so interesting that you talk about self-care because I feel for so long I didn't do it. I was afraid when you are a parent to a child that's medically complex, I got into that mindset, like, I can't leave her. Mm-hmm. Only I can take care, only I'm going to take care of her, like, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. best or yeah. something. So, um, yes, I would say for anyone, um, just having that time away. And I don't mean in the next room. I mean away. Um, Mm. Recently, I've taken some trips and it has just really helped me to, to be away, to know that it's okay to, to leave her, that she is safe, Mm -hmm. that she's going to be okay. And that if I'm going to be the best parent that I can be, a mental break is okay or a break okay away from it all. And it doesn't have to be long, 24 hours, 48 hours, Mm -hmm. you know, a few days, whatever you feel that you need so you can jump back into it and, and give your child your all. Mm -hmm. So I think even little things like that, and even sometimes if you're not able to do that, a few hours away from the household to, to reset, whether it's going to a bookstore or having a cup of coffee by yourself, tea, whatever you mm-hmm. like, yeah. um, just whatever. It's important to have that time away. And I really have learned, um, I was even in the mindset of, I can't go anywhere. I can't bring my child back anything. It's a scary thought. But I think that there's ways of being safe Mm -hmm. to make sure that you can get that time away. It's important. And I've really found that out. And it's not something that's been, she's five and I haven't really learned the importance of self-care until lately. And Mm -hmm. I would say within the last few months. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Yes. Definitely important to to have that self-care. Yeah, absolutely. Take care of yourself first. Fill your cup so you can do for others and fill their cups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so good. I love the permission that you give yourself and other moms to take care of themselves. I think that's so important and can sometimes feel impossible, especially in a pandemic year, years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, even if it's just coffee or going to your favorite place or going on a drive, you know, whatever that looks like for you, um, you are worth it. And like you mentioned earlier, Drew, you were worth joy. You deserve joy. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> That's <Okay>. perfect. <laughs> Well, Jules, I feel like we could talk to you for hours. You should be on like a national like talk show where you have like a whole like four hour feature and you and Juliana can just be the most beautiful ladies. Um, But it truly has been a joy to have you here for part two. And um, your story, again, has so many layers but I think it's, I'm just astounded at the healing and the partnership that both you and your husband have. Um, it's so evident that from the very beginning, you and your husband are a really good team. And um, that continues to be evident just in how Juliana is thriving today. And um, we're just so proud of you and so proud to know you. And to the other medically complex NICU mamas listening who maybe feel that they're on a road alone, we want to remind you that you are not, um, especially when in these past few years where it has felt like you carry the weight of therapies and appointments and all of the above. Just know that um, you don't have to do it perfectly. Your love is enough and you are enough. And so um, – We are so grateful to share this space with so many remarkable moms like yourself, Jules, and those listening. And we just hope that this episode reminds you that you are worthy of joy and you are worthy of good things in life. And so we love you, mamas, and um, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.